What if I told you that one of your biggest problems is fear? What if I told you that one of your biggest problems is fear? Would you believe me? Maybe you don't need that much convincing, in part because you look out around you at our culture. And our culture is more afraid and anxious than almost any other culture before. Fear is what drives our voting patterns. Fear is what drives our scrolling patterns. And fear even drives our daily patterns. A couple of examples come to mind. It starts maybe even at breakfast. Let's say you decide to go out to breakfast and you stand in line at your favorite cafe. And you want a specialty coffee. You want maybe something vanilla, a vanilla latte. And you have a couple choices. You can either get the full fat, full sugar vanilla latte, and the cafe has been so kind to give you the calorie count next to that. Or you could get the diet vanilla latte underneath it, and you see somehow, miraculously, it is zero calories. You have two choices in front of you, and it might give you just a low-grade, a low-grade anxiety at the beginning of the day. Because if you choose the full sugar version, you might be headed toward a heart attack. If you choose the no-calorie version, you might be headed toward cancer. So good luck with the vanilla latte at the beginning of the day. Sorry. But anxiety could continue just even in how we approach parenting. You might want to protect your kid from every possible negative influence because there are a lot of creepers out there. And so then you might, the danger is if you overprotect, you become a helicopter parent. And then what happens eventually is that your kid can't handle any kind of negativity or criticism and he needs a safe space everywhere. Oh, anxiety is everywhere in our daily patterns. Friends, one of your biggest problems is fear. But what if I told you that the solution to your fear is fear? Would you believe me? Maybe you need a little bit more convincing than, that, uh, than the first one. Our problem isn't just that we're afraid and anxious. Our problem really is that we don't know how to deal with our fear and our anxiety. We don't know how to regulate our fear and anxiety. We don't know how to put them in perspective. The only ways we really know how to do it is either to compensate or to medicate. Here's author Michael Reeves, who wrote a tremendously helpful book called Rejoice and Tremble, the surprisingly good news of the fear of the Lord. I'm going to quote him several times today. He writes this, with society having lost God as the proper object of healthy fear, our culture necessarily is becoming ever more neurotic ever more anxious about the unknown. Indeed, ever more anxious about anything and everything. Without a kind and fatherly providential care from God, we are left utterly uncertain about the shifting sands of both morality and reality. Whether it's the health of our bodies, the health of our politics, or the health of our planet, we feel helplessly fragile. We are no longer anchored So society fills with free-floating anxieties. Friends, we have a fear problem. But we need a fear solution. So today we're beginning a series on the, um, the book of Proverbs. And through this series, we'll take a long look at what wisdom is. A definition of it, how to get it, the areas of life in which we apply it. But today we're going to start as good a place as any. We're going to start in the beginning. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you're not with me there there yet, I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. You'll find the page number on the screen behind you. If the screen is working, yes, it is, so that's great. Um, And you follow along as I read, and after I'm done reading, I'm going to say this is God's word. And if you agree, this is God's gift to us, would you say with me, thanks be to God. So Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. 
The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, and righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Main idea of this passage is that to live with skill in the world, you must start with an overwhelming delight and devotion to your Father and Redeemer. To live with skill in the world, you must start with an overwhelming delight and devotion to your Father and Redeemer. Three points to unpack uh, this passage. First, the goal, the goal of wisdom. Second, the beginning of wisdom. Third, the value of wisdom. So first up, the goal of wisdom. I don't know if you notice this in daily life, but mission statements are everywhere. You know the police's mission statement. It's to serve and protect. You might not know NASA's mission statement, but as you would imagine, it's really cool. NASA's mission statement is to explore the secrets of the universe for the benefit of all. Mission statements are everywhere. Even Olive Garden has a mission statement. (laughs) When you're here, you're family. A good mission statement sets the course, and it's no different in this book of Proverbs. The purpose or goal or mission comes right at the start. So verses 2 to 6, it shows the book's purpose almost like a diamond that's rotating in a display. We've honed in on the first part of that goal. We called it wisdom. That's sort of the umbrella term. But there are different aspects of wisdom that verses 2 to 6 describe. So look at there with me. Aspects of wisdom include instruction, which implies wisdom must be learned and hard won. There's another aspect of wisdom called words of insight. This can also be translated as understanding. And behind this is the verb to discern. So this aspect of wisdom is the ability to discern between right and wrong. There's another aspect of wisdom in verse 3. It's called wise dealing. This is like wisdom applied and lived out. We see wisdom lived out as we continue in verse 3 when we have righteousness, justice, and equity. There are more aspects of wisdom underneath the umbrella. Uh, In verse 4, there is prudence and discretion. These are kind of old English words that we might not use every day. But when you have these qualities, you have the ability to plan and prepare. A helpful verse is Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. He plans and prepares, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Finally, verse 5, one more aspect of wisdom. We see learning and guidance. To be wise is to learn the truth, and not just any truth, but as we'll see first, it's the truth about God. These are some of the aspects of wisdom. And verses 2 through 6 don't only, not only give us an introduction to wisdom, they give us an introduction to Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is pretty much all of Proverbs. And Hebrew poetry is not like our poetry. This book does not read like green eggs and ham. Our poetry is based more on meter and rhyme. Hebrew poetry is based on parallelism. Now just tease out the word that you hear in there. Parallelism is based on parallel lines. So uh, it's sometimes the second line uh, contrasts the first line. Sometimes the second line in parallelism clarifies the first line. Sometimes the second line in some way intensifies the first line. 
These opening verses, verses 2 to 6, aren't just introductions to uh, wisdom, not just an introduction to uh, uh, Hebrew poetry, but even an introduction in the teaching method of Proverbs itself. Look again at verse 6. It gives us the goal of understanding a proverb. Now that word proverb stems from a verb meaning to be like or compare. This leads one commentator to conclude that these short, pithy sayings called Proverbs are meant to make you compare your life with the proverb that you're reading to see how much you line up. The commentator also notes that while each proverb is true, they take wisdom to apply because they don't apply in every single situation. In fact, an individual proverb is not meant to give us the entire knowledge on a certain subject. It's meant to be one part of a whole. Now, that's some of the technical stuff that's important, but I don't want to get too lost there. We talked about the aspects of wisdom, about poetry, about Proverbs, but what is wisdom itself? What is this umbrella term? Well, this word wisdom is used in other places in the Bible in connection with having a skill. So think about it like this. You and I need knowledge. We need to know stuff about God. We need to know stuff about the world. But we need wisdom to apply the knowledge we have skillfully. So a helpful definition of wisdom I've heard is this. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. This is what Proverbs wants for you and me. To make us skillful to live godly. And we skipped verse 1, but verse 1 says the one pursuing this goal is none other than King Solomon. Now, yes, there are other authors in Proverbs. There are even editors who compile Solomon's Proverbs. But Solomon is the principal author of this book. Solomon, you might remember, is called the wisest guy in his age. His wisdom garnered the attention of the whole world at the time, even as far away places of Israel to Ethiopia. And that should get our attention. Because, friends, the guy who writes this book, isn't the, this is not the self-published memoir of some no-name staffer on Solomon's administration. This is the head honcho himself, Solomon. But even as we see Proverbs' own goal to make us skilled in godly living, we remember wisdom isn't limited to Solomon. Wisdom isn't even limited to Proverbs. Wisdom is one of the Bible's main goals. Remember what Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. He told his protege that to be well acquainted with the scriptures because they can make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The wisdom of Proverbs should point us forward to the wisdom of Jesus, who is called the wisdom of God. And Jesus even said of himself, something greater than Solomon is here. So friends, through this book, God wants to make you wise. He wants to increase your skill to live like him in the world. Now, before we move on, I want you to slow down for a minute and think about what this means. If, the, if this book has the goal to make you wise, to make you live skillfully like God in the world, that should tell you something about God, shouldn't it? It should tell you that God cares about how you live in the world. God cares about that. You know, the world would have you flaunt your freedom. The world would have you live how, however you want to live. 
But according to Proverbs, there is a way to live well and there is a way to live poorly. According to Proverbs, how you live affects other people and how you live can reflect badly or well the God who made you. According to Proverbs, the way to life, the way to happiness is not our own way, but God's way. And we so often just get that backwards. We talked about it at the beginning. Our culture is broken by fear and anxiety. It's ironic that our culture is the same one that has broken the shackles of God's seemingly restraints on our freedom. And everybody's miserable as a result. Proverbs wants to make you wise. Friends, this goal should tell you something about you also. This goal should tell you that on your own, you don't have wisdom. (laughs) That if the goal is to make you wise, that implies that on your own, you don't have what you need to live wisely. Solomon addresses the book to the simple and to the young. You look again at verse five. Who are the wise? According to verse five, the wise people are those who hear and increase in learning. In other words, wise people are the people who know they aren't wise. (laughs) So friend, if you have the mindset that, man, it's it's pretty hard to impress me anymore with with teaching at church. It's it's pretty hard for me to pay attention to anything because you know what? I've been around the block a time or two and I've sort of figured life out already. If you, have, if you approach life more with a desire to coast than with a desire for growth, my friend, then this book and even the whole Bible will be hard for you. And the invitation to Proverbs is the same invitation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you feel like you have a bunch of stuff to offer God, then it's just not going to make sense to you. But if you know that you have nothing to offer God, my friend, this book is just for you. That's the goal of wisdom. Now we come to the main verse in question, verse seven. This is our second point, the beginning of wisdom. Verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm gonna break this down asking three questions. First, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Second, how do we start to fear the Lord? Third, why is this the beginning of wisdom? Question one, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Yeah, I thought we were supposed to love the Lord. You know, maybe the Bible just needs to get its story straight. How are we supposed to reconcile these two things? Because they seem opposite to one another. Even a place like 1 John, which is in the Bible, says that perfect love casts out fear. So maybe we can get some guidance from the regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, Michael Scott. He's the sage prophet I quote from time to time. He says this, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. (laughs) Is that the answer here? Is that how we reconcile these two? Well, not quite. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Part of the difficulty is that there just isn't a perfectly equivalent English word that's translated into fear. For us, fear only means something negative. But the Bible uses the same word for fear in a couple different ways. It'll use it in a negative way, and it'll use the same word in a positive way. Both uses describe a sense of being overwhelmed, of being weak-kneed and trembling, but you could have this feeling for different reasons. 
Again, author Michael Reeves is helpful. He says, I can shake in terror like a soldier might under heavy fire. Or I can quake in overwhelmed adoration as when the groom first sees his bride. Same feeling. One's negative, one's positive. These negative and positive fears are all over the Bible. And I want to show you a couple. They're on the back side of your bulletin. Uh, so you don't have to flip too much. First is in Exodus 20, verse 20. I want you to look for negative fear and positive fear. Exodus 20, 20 says, Do not fear, sounds negative, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. That sounds like a positive kind of fear. Isaiah 33, 14, a negative fear. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Jeremiah 33, verse 9, positive fear. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble. Why? Look at this. Because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Well, if you need a flesh and bones example of what it means to fear the Lord in this positive way, well, I suggest that you look no further than Jesus himself. Isaiah 11.3 prophesies that Jesus would come delighting in the fear of the Lord. We seldom put those two together, do we? So Proverbs constantly paints the fear of the Lord in this positive light. So in Proverbs, to fear God is to know God intimately. To fear God is to be close to God. To fear God is even to trust God. Just look at the next chapter, Proverbs 2, verse 5. What is the result of the fear of the Lord? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Flip over to the next chapter after that. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. You'll recognize these. They'll sound familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It's the same word for know. In all your ways, know him. And he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So the fear of the Lord is connected to trust. It's connected to knowledge of God. Rightly understood. The fear of the Lord is not negative but positive. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. It all boils down to this, really. The wrong fear of God runs away from God. The right fear of God runs toward God. The wrong fear of God falls on its face terrified. The right fear of God falls on its face before the Lord amazed. The wrong fear of God trembles at God as a just judge. The right fear of God knows God and wants to please God as Father. So friends, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Maybe a couple definitions. Again, from Michael Reeves, it means to be overwhelmed by God's goodness and majesty and holiness and grace and righteousness. To be overwhelmed and awed by all that is God. It means to lean toward the Lord, being happily thrilled, exquisitely delighted. 
Maybe another definition. I found this one helpful too. This one's from a guy named Charles Bridges. He says, the fear of the Lord is the affectionate reverence, not just cold and dry reverence, but affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. It means to have an earnest desire to please God and a watchfulness not to sin against God. This is what the fear of the Lord is. And the question becomes for you, do you fear the Lord in this way? My friend, if you are any at all bitter toward God, if you are indifferent to God, if, if you are reluctant to approach God, if you just try to perform a moral life for God with no real affection for him. Well, first of all, friend, I, I thank you for being here today. But if that describes you, I submit to you that you are not fearing God in the right way. And it's because you misunderstand who God is. If you don't believe me, you could, you could turn with me to a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 19. Story Jesus told about a nobleman who went away to receive an inheritance. This nobleman entrusted his servants to take care of his wealth while he was gone. And when he returns, he comes to check on his servants to see how they did. So he, turn, he returns and he checks on the first servant. And the first servant doubled what was entrusted to him. He returns and then he checks on the second servant. And the second servant also doubles what was entrusted to him. But then he checks on the third servant. The third servant didn't do anything with what was entrusted to him. And what was his reasoning? The third, the third servant says in chapter Luke 19, verse 21, he says, I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Look at this is a negative fear. And where did it come from? It came from a misunderstanding about who his master is. He skipped over and didn't realize his master's kindness. Instead, he assumed his master's severity. His negative fear kept him from trusting his master. It kept him from running toward serving his master, instead led him to running away from his master. A right understanding of God leads to a right fear of God. Now, do you fear the Lord in that way? Do you understand him as kind, not just severe? And you might tell to me in response, hey, Steve, I, you don't really understand what's happened in my life. From all the evidence of my life, the only conclusion I can reach is that God is severe, not kind. I'm sorry to hear that, friend, but I, 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 you're left with, what, what do you do? The second question, then, is how do we start fearing the Lord? How do we start fearing the Lord? Go back to Proverbs 1, verse 7. Be tough. It'd be easy to skip over. Um, it says, the fear of the Lord, all capital letters, is the beginning of wisdom. When you see all capital letters, Lord, it's shorthand for Yahweh, or I am. God revealed this name to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. Many call this God's covenant name. The people whom God has made his own, the people whom God has devoted himself to, those are the people God, who call God Yahweh. And this name gives us a hint of how we can start fearing the Lord in a positive way. We can be happily thrilled about God only if we have come into a special covenant relationship with God. We can be exquisitely delighted with God only if we have peace with God. 
We can have affectionate reverence for God only if God has made us his own. I mean, think about it. If you don't have this kind of relationship with God, if you don't have peace with God, if you don't belong to God, then friends, there is a chasm between you and God that your sin separates you. You are under his just judgment. My friend, you have every right to have a negative fear of God. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's only natural that you would want to run away from him. So you will fear the Lord rightly in a positive way. You will be overwhelmed and weak need at his goodness when you understand the story of the covenant he's made with his people. See, the people God revealed his name to, the people God rescued and made his own, those people continually did not make God their own. They continually ran after other gods. The Old Testament's one long story of God honoring his covenant while his people breaking the covenant. And yet God is so abundantly kind and merciful that he promised a new covenant. Promises this in many places, including a place we read earlier from Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32 verse 40 says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts. And what does that fear do? That they may not turn from me. Positive fear. What is this new covenant that God has promised to us? What is the good that God has done for us in this new covenant? It's nothing other than giving us graciously his own son, not sparing him from us. Jesus would keep the covenant with God that his people had broken. Jesus would shed his blood on the cross to secure the new covenant for God's people so that all who trust in Jesus would no longer be enemies of God, but his friends. So that all who trust in Jesus would no longer belong to sin, but belong to the Lord. So that all who trust in Jesus would no longer be slaves to the world and to the devil, but children of God. So that all who trust in Jesus, his perfect life for them and his death in their their place, would no longer dread God, no longer have this negative fear, but have this positive fear. No longer dread God, but delight in God. Friend, if you want to start fearing the Lord rightly, then you have to know God as Redeemer and as Father. The only way to know God like that is through faith in his son. When you trust in God's son, then you have God as your father and you have God's spirit dwelling within you. The spirit who is called the spirit of adoption. The spirit reminds us that God is not severe, but kind. The spirit reminds us that we are God's children because of what God's son has done for us. And the spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. And here's the thing, when you start to fear the Lord in this way, when you start to know God as Redeemer and Father through faith in his Son, it can begin to give you positive fear that frees you from the other fears that cripple you. When you know God as Redeemer and Father, it can free you from fearing people's criticism and rejection and disapproval of you. You can say, through God's Son, God has redeemed me and made me his child. I can quote Romans 8.31. If God is for me, who can be against me? When you know God as Redeemer and as Father, it can free you from the fears that cripple you. It can give you this positive fear that I belong to God. It can free you from fearing your own opinions. 
free you from fearing your own doubts, free you from fearing your own lack of self-worth. Because you have the delight that God has made you his own. You can quote Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you fear God in this positive way, when you know him as redeemer and father, it can free you from fearing the future. Free you from fearing every possible bad scenario that you play over in your mind time and time again. Fear you from fearing the state of the world around you. You say God has redeemed you and made you his own. You are his child. That delightful fear leads you to quote Romans 8, 38 to 39. That you are sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friend, have you experienced the freedom of the fear of the Lord? Do you know God as Redeemer and as Father? The only way is to have faith in God's Son you have not done that, would you talk to me or to someone else about that today? Question three. So we said, uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Why? Well, remember what wisdom is. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of that? Three quick reasons. Well, one, it's the beginning because God alone gives wisdom. Proverbs 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, too, because God made the world, not you. God made the world, not you. Commentator Derek Kidner says this, the only wisdom by which you can handle the everyday things in the world in conformity to their nature is the wisdom by which they were divinely made and ordered. In other words, if you want to know how life works, you start with the one who made life itself. We do well to listen to what God asked Job at the end of the book. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. God made the world, not you. Why is the uh, fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Reason number three Because you need more than information, you need worship. You need more than information, you need worship. Here's what I mean. A lot of us approach life like we have it mainly under control, but we just need the occasional boost or the occasional tip or the occasional counsel. And so that leads us to treat the Bible, including Proverbs, in a certain way. We treat the Bible kind of like Bible roulette. I don't know if you've ever played this. I've played it before. Bible roulette works like this. You have the Bible sitting in front of you. You don't read it often, but you read it when you need it. So if you play Bible roulette, you close your eyes, you open to a random page, right? And your finger launches like a rocket. And where it lands is what you need. Now, I don't know if you've heard the guy who's done this and it didn't go well. Maybe you've had heard about this guy. So he plays Bible roulette finger launches off and the first place he lands on is Judas went and hanged himself. (laughs) Thinking that's a little dark, he says, all right, that can't be it. I'm going to try again. So blast off new page lands and it says, go and do likewise. Maybe third time's a charm. I'm going to try one more time. Finger launches off new page and it lands. What you do, do quickly. Can, Bible, can God work through Bible roulette? I suppose so. 
But you need more than occasional piecemeal advice. Friend, you need to know the beginning. The beginning is not information, it's worship. The beginning of your life is not just knowing all the ways to please God. It's not just knowing all the ways to live well in the world, those matter. But you can know those things and not want to please God. Making none of that matter. Wisdom begins with worship. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, just a bonus on this point. Wisdom doesn't just begin with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom continues with the fear of the Lord. We don't leave it behind. Just like we talked about, a writer can't leave behind the alphabet. You need it for everything. You need the fear of the Lord for all of life. As children of God, we want to grow in our affectionate reverence for our Father. We want to continue to be happily thrilled with the God who saved us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, you might know this verse. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Did you notice where transformation comes from according to that verse? It doesn't just come from life tips. It comes from beholding God. You don't just look for advice from God's word. We look for God from God's word. Go figure That should inform how we read and preach the Bible, by the way. It's not that we don't want to know God's instructions for our lives, but we first want to know the God who gave these instructions. Everything in this book is meant to take us to a deeper knowledge of God, a deeper fear of him. The fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom, it's the path of wisdom. It's not just the path of wisdom, it's even the goal of wisdom. Back to Proverbs 2, verse 5. It says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Our goal is not just more efficient and effective lives. Our goal is to know God. That's the destination. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that you may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the path, and the goal of wisdom. Now, we've talked about the, uh, the goal of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom, and now last big point, it will be the shortest point, the value of wisdom. The last part of verse 7 says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this kind of relates to what we just talked about. Wisdom isn't first about information. Notice the fool here in verse 7 isn't the guy who doesn't know stuff. The fool in verse 7 is the guy who doesn't love. Proverbs 2, verse 14 says, The fool is the one who rejoices in doing evil, delights in the perverseness of evil. The fool doesn't need more information. The fool needs transformation. The fool loves his own way, not God's way. He runs away from the Lord, not towards the Lord. This is not the path of wisdom. This is the path of folly. Running down it is foolish because of where it leads. You might know Proverbs 14, 12, which says there is a way that seems right to a man and its end is the way to death. But the right positive fear of the Lord places you on the path that is wise. While the wise path might not be attractive, it is very valuable. Solomon understood this even as a young man. Before Solomon became king, God told him, you can ask for anything that you want, young Solomon. What do you want? Give me wisdom. Solomon knew its value. Wisdom is valuable because it leads to life. 
Proverbs 23, verses 17 to 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. My friend, you have a fear problem and you need a fear solution. The wise path is the path that starts with the fear of the Lord. And it's not just any fear. It's not terror. It's captivated delight and devotion. And my friend, this fear can free you from the other fears that cripple you so regularly. This fear will only press you closer to the one who is life itself. This fear comes only when you know God as Redeemer and Father through faith in his Son. My friend, please do not despise the wise path that God has placed in front of you. Maybe a good place to close is 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 27. It says, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and folly for Gentiles, but those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, be wise and fear the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, again, we ask that you would unite our hearts to fear your name because all of us so regularly delight and devote ourselves in other things besides you. Show us that you are incomparable. Convince us, God, that the wise path of life is your path, that the wise path in our lives begins with listening to you, with loving you, with rejoicing that you are our God and Father. And it's our prayer today that if anyone does not know you this way, that you would make yourself known to them and that you would give faith from the word of Christ that they heard. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.